You're listening to the EM Ottawa Podcast. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the EM Ottawa Podcast, and I'm your host today, Dr. Tiff Lamb. Today, we have Dr. Ian Steele join us for one of the first episodes of the EM Ottawa podcast. Dr. Ian Steele needs no introduction. He is a clinical epidemiologist and emergency physician at the University of Ottawa. Dr. Steele is internationally recognized for his development of clinical decision rules and research in emergency medicine. Dr. Steele, we are thrilled to have you here with us today, and we're really looking forward to hearing about your successful career and how you managed to stay well through it all. Welcome, Dr. Ian Steele. Hi, Tiffany. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thank you for joining us. Our first question for you is, what drew you to emergency medicine in the first place? It's a really long story. Uh, When I was a med student, there was no such thing as emergency medicine. I started off in family medicine and quickly realized that was not my cup of tea, but I did enjoy working in the emergency department and the ICU. So at that point, there were a couple of residencies in the U.S. and one in Canada. So I signed up for uh, emergency medicine residency at uh, McGill University way back. Hmm. Okay. So what brought you to a career in research? That was highly, highly unexpected because I had zero experience with research as a student or even as a resident. Uh, but as I got into uh, practice here in Ottawa, I was quite interested in the literature. I, I've been running the journal club here for a very long time, and I started to uh, learn a little bit about uh, how studies should be conducted. I ended up taking a a master's of epidemiology program while I was still in early on in my career. And that was the beginning of doing a bunch of research. So I might add that none of this was planned. (laughs) It just, so that might be discouraging uh, for some folks, but I think sometimes you've got to go with your gut and follow any opportunities that arise. You can't pre-ordain what's going to happen. <laughs> right. So did you have any mentors along the way who helped guide you in making those more difficult decisions? Well, I would say, uh, and this may sound a little strange, but my father was a forestry researcher. And even though I'm in medicine, I guess some of his sort of research instincts and talents uh, must have rubbed off on me. <laughs> it sounds like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Apparently. Yes. Literally. Apparently, yes. Uh, in medicine, yes. Initially, because there was no emergency medicine research going on anywhere in the world when I got serious about this. So I had mentors from uh, particularly uh, the Department of Medicine here in Ottawa who were heavily into clinical epidemiology and kind of really helped me in terms of writing grants and getting my first papers published. Yeah, I think mentorship is really important in any kind of career building, especially in taking those first few steps. So do you have any advice for those just starting their career in building those key connections and collaborations? I I think that, uh, again, if uh, 
you are a med student, you should reach out to known researchers early on in your first and second year and ask for opportunities to either volunteer or, or to work with them. We also offer opportunity for uh, med students to work with our residents on their projects. So many of them have got their foot in the door that way. Uh, similarly, if you're a resident and you're eager to get into it, uh, try to link up with the faculty members who seem to be doing research or seem to be publishing. Mm-hmm. It sounds like where there's a will, there's a way. And if you're passionate about a certain area, don't be shy. Let that be known. And there will always be someone who's excited to mentor you along the way. Switching gears a little bit, I wonder how the clinical part of your work influences the research. Okay, clinical work in the emergency is like everything for a clinician researcher. And uh, I have been working in the emergency department well over 40 years, uh, just to date <laughs> myself. And Very young. I did start med school when I was 12, right? Right, uh-huh. right. <laughs> so, um, no, but that's what drives us. It's a ever-ending source of ideas you know every day myself the residents the students they all say like so why do we do it that way mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and there's so many unanswered questions mm-hmm. also find the, the emergency is a great place to do research because we have such high volumes right. of cases and we see cases at a stage of their development really early unlike what is seen by say somebody in medicine or surgery like we see the patients first and, and and figure them out so we can research presentations and identification and risk stratification, all kinds of cool stuff. Right. The emergency department really is the perfect playground to do some exploring. And it's really meaningful to be able to take your research and bring it back, apply it to a real-time setting, and have the volumes to be able to measure the outcomes over time. So You've had a huge hand in building the research community in emergency medicine. So what is the most meaningful change or evolution you've seen with regards to the use of evidence in emergency medicine? Well, as you can imagine, when I was a resident, (laughs) there was very little evidence and it was all what we call eminence-based medicine in that the old professors told you what to do. And you said, oh, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. So seeing the fact that now we expect everything to be evidence-based, we look to the studies, our trainees are, are taught how to appraise the literature and how to make sense of studies for themselves rather than relying on somebody else. Uh, I, I think it's just like night and day where we're at today compared to the dark ages. <laughs> and we have a lot of that to thank you for. So thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're always busy. You always have your hands full with a multitude of projects and supervising many learners. So how do you maintain a balanced schedule and how do you make sure to stay well while juggling all of it? Well, I've had a long time to practice. So I would say like I'm pretty fast doing most of this academic stuff. You know, I can read a paper, appraise a paper quite quickly. And that really helps me in my job as the editor-in-chief of CGEM. And... Uh, I mentioned that we do put in a lot of hours. Right. Uh, so some support from home. <laughs> and uh, perhaps how I grew up doing it as a, mm-hmm. 
as a baby boomer, we kind of overwork. Uh, it's not the ideal way. So I think our, our newer researchers and academics are much more attuned to a good uh, life-work uh, balance, which is the way it should be. Fair enough. So it sounds like it's in your nature to work really hard, really fast, and clearly you're super productive. But I wonder if there ever comes a time when you may feel burnt out. And so what do you do to slow down and how do you cope with that? Well, I, I, I try uh, for sure to exercise, get some kind of exercise every day. Uh, I do like stuff like uh, skiing and mountain biking and golf and tennis. Uh, I used to like to travel quite a bit, but <laughs> a bit tricky lately. Right. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, and we have... Uh, our family, uh, my wife and I spend a lot of time with our family. We have two grandchildren. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, don't worry. I not spend my whole life in front of a computer. <laughs> it actually sounds like you have a lot of hobbies. And I guess it's all about that work-life integration, hey? Yeah, yeah. Everybody has to figure that out for themselves. And looking back, you said you never expected a career in research. And it seemed to find you, fortunately. I wonder if you can share some of the greatest lessons you've learned in your career, whether that's in medicine, in research, or outside medicine. Oh boy, you can't totally pre-plan your life. You know, I know in med school, I wanted to be a neurologist and a surgeon and then a family doctor and all that went by the wayside as I grew up and started to see what's going on out there. So you have to be open to opportunities. Yeah, and I think that's very wise advice. I think it's tough sometimes, you know, especially as a learner or as a new staff, in that sometimes you can feel a pressure to get started as soon as possible and carve out a path, your path. So I can appreciate you saying that it's worthwhile to be open to that journey. Yeah, I I was discussing this. uh, We're having a med school virtual reunion this weekend from, I won't even want to tell you how many years ago, but I was discussing this with uh, another of my classmates from Western where I went to med school. We both got into med school really young, and then we were able to develop without even worrying about getting into med school, mm-hmm. to get into residency and to a fellowship. You know, there's just, a, there is so much pressure. Right. You can't mm-hmm. just free float necessarily the way I did and land on your feet you for sure have to do some planning right but nevertheless allow yourself to change course if you find something you like better definitely allow yourself to change course so have a flexible hit list maybe but be open to spontaneity oh yeah (laughs) don't be afraid to admit that you really don't like this path you're on hmm So do you have any advice on choosing opportunities? You know, in medicine, we're often bombarded with opportunities from right and left, and you want to say yes to it all, but you just can't. How do you choose the right opportunities? Oh, boy. I think when you're young, just say yes. Uh, As you get more, you know, say into, uh, say, a research career, you have to learn to say no. You cannot do everything the time but i think when you're trying uh, as a student and a resident and maybe young faculty to prove yourself people like those who say i can do this can do kind of folks okay 
So early on being more open to saying yes and over time with more experience learning when and how to say no. So after saying yes many times, you've had an extremely successful career. So I have to wonder, what's next for the next phase of your career? Uh, I'm quite comfy. I have lots to do. I think doing my own research, mentoring the residents and the young investigators, being the editor-in-chief of CGEM, uh, that will keep me going for uh, quite a while, I hope. But I have plenty of other things to do right now. Okay. So we'll look forward to a couple of practice-changing guidelines coming up. Okay. Stay tuned. Sweet. Do you have any final words of advice or thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners, especially those who might just be starting out in emergency medicine? Well, I, I mean, I guess it depends on your personality, but I found emergency medicine was a perfect fit for me. You know, a uh, short attention span, <laughs> and it's a great uh, environment to work in. It's uh, teamwork. It's exciting. And I just think there's so many opportunities, not just to do clinical research, but all the other fields that we're seeing, quality improvement, education, focus, simulation. There's just a lot of opportunities in emergency medicine right now. So if you like this stuff, uh, you're going to have fun. Well, I'm certainly having fun, especially in my first year of practice. And while brief, the journey has certainly been eye-opening and a learning experience so far. And with that, thank you so much, Dr. Steele, for joining us today and sharing all your career insights and wisdom with both me and our listeners. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Tiffany, for listening to me. The pleasure is all mine. And I hope we get you back on our podcast one of these days very soon. Anytime. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. Until next episode, stay well. Take care. Bye-bye.